Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Right, if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12. Um, this is lesson 8. Um, as you're turning, I want to encourage you to grab your phone. Okay, grab your phone as you're turning. Maybe you re, uh, look at the passage on your, bio, or on your phone as well. And so, uh, anyways, um, pull up a notes app or something along those lines, um, if you would. And sometimes I like to do this, but mainly I... I do it when I want you to maybe hang on to something. Um, I'm a, I always have been and always probably will be a big handout guy. Um, I, I enjoy having something to um, keep my attention focused. I enjoy having something that you can take home. But uh, I also know how normal people work. And the way normal people work is that their handouts live in their Bibles for 39 weeks and then um, they don't really ever do anything with it or or maybe it just gets shoved in the back or maybe you don't even grab a handout or maybe you um, grab a handout and then as you walk out the door you think man I got a lot of stuff in my Bible and so you crinkle it all up and throw it in the trash and so anyways but one of the things that I know that you do take very good care of are these little devices and so we're going to use those uh, today and uh, I have gotten into the habit of putting some things that I like to try to recall and remember in my uh, in the notes of my phone um, if you want to jot these down on a piece of paper that's fine too some of you are, are like anti-phones in church and so I understand that but um, some of you are not anti-phones in church because you're always on them so I also understand that as well um, but anyways um, we've been in a series entitled thy will be done and before we go into today's lesson let me just say that um, I've been teaching this class since uh oh I'm gonna need help Lauren 2013 I think 2013, so eight years, um, and um, taught through, if you've been in the class any time at all, um, I mainly do series every now and then. We'll do like a standalone lesson or something along those lines. Um, but for the most part, we have uh, been in series since I started uh, teaching in here. And um, I've taught through a lot of them, and I don't know that I've ever had one that so many of you have come and said, hey, what you're talking about is exactly what I need. And so um, I don't teach for that reason. In fact, I have many series that I've taught and no one said anything and couldn't care less because I know that I've taught and spoke on what God, God told me. But obviously this series for whatever reason, maybe for the time of life that you're in or maybe for the season that you're in does seem to be striking a nerve or, or hopefully not striking a nerve, hopefully it's helping a nerve, um, but uh, it is uh, hopefully something that you can come, come back to. And so this is one of the things that I feel like is going to be important, but before we really do lesson number eight, let me give you a preview of lesson number nine and where we're going to close. I understand that not everyone in the room feels like, well, I even feel uh, like, like pursuing the will of God. I even, uh, or maybe I've already messed up and so now I'm kind of struggling. And so next week, I'm going to close with a lesson that will potentially be what I think is the most important lesson of the series, not because it necessarily applies to everyone, 
but because I think it's going to be where we really get a glimpse of the way that God's will works. And so we're going to close with a series or with a lesson next week in this series that is, where we talk about what happens when God's will becomes plan B. What happens when God's will becomes plan B? Basically, how do you live after maybe a spiritual failure? How do you live after maybe something has occurred in your life? How do you live after maybe bitterness? How do you live after some of these things? And how do you continue to follow God's will? Um, And I don't want you to miss that, not because I I think that it will apply to 20% of the room, okay, or whatever, all right. But I I want you to come for the spiritual and the biblical mindset and philosophy behind it because if there's anything that like I that I have seen over the course of seven eight years of teaching it's that sometimes when we mess up we're really good at giving up rather than getting back up okay we're really good at saying like oh man I messed up so I guess I'm done no look at this look at the Bible look at who God used in Scripture And so many times when we mess up, it's kind of like, well, I guess I'm just going to give up on God. I guess I'm just going to give up on his will for my life. I guess I'm God is a gracious God. God is a perfect God. And God has a way of using our mistakes for his honor and for his glory. And so before we dove into lesson number eight, I wanted to give you a preview of lesson number nine. I would encourage you, and I don't do this a lot, but if you know someone that it would be a help to, um, then invite them to class next week. I'll be very tender. Um, we, I, one of the things that I've been praying about, uh, and then I think we'll even go into our next series with, is I want to encourage the uh, outreach side of our class. I think that we've gotten to the point to where it's easy to become kind of self-centered or uh, inward focused and so we're going to talk about that in our next series so maybe start next week by inviting someone to join you but for today lesson number eight we're going to answer the question am i in god's will and here's the reason why i want you to put this in your phone or put it on something that you'll remember is because sometimes we overcomplicate god's will or maybe once we're faced with a decision of well is this god's will or is it not god's will is this dating relationship god's will or is it not god's will um is the is this job opportunity god's will or is it not god's will when we're faced with that we don't always have a clear frame of mind and so what we end up doing is we just kind of end up talking to everybody we end up maybe praying about it a little bit we end up maybe sitting in church or we look at, we're looking for a sign or or how many of you you're like this to where you can make a sign out of anything like like if you're trying to get a if you're trying to get a job and then all of a sudden your friend walks up and is like today I got a job it's like that's a sign like I need to take this job like that that's a sign like they got a job I got a job like all God's children got jobs so let's let's just keep like that's the sign like like or someone like you're trying to figure out if you need to break up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you walk by a magazine rack and some movie star is broken up with their girlfriend it's like if they broke up with their girlfriend I need to break up with my girlfriend like there's the sign. like God's probably not going to speak to you through people magazine or whatever all right so we sometimes are guilty of looking for God's will in all of the wrong places. And so today, I'm going to really just give us five questions that we can walk through um, as a class, but that you can walk through as an individual that work you through, okay, is this God's will? Is this God's will? I think that if there's anything that we are guilty of as human beings, it is turning something that's not God's will into God's will or missing God's will for our own will. And we talked about that some, I believe, in lesson number six. We are so guilty of maybe turning something into God's will that it's like, no, 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 that's not what God intended us to have. 
but we're also guilty of just completely missing it because we don't always understand how to walk through it. So I'm going to use Mark chapter number 12. Let's look at verse number 10 just to kind of set the context. Let's look at verse number 1. I just want to read it to you so that you can see what's happening, and then we'll skip down to verse number 10, which is really the conclusion of this part, portion of the chapter. The Bible says this, And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the, the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Okay, so he's giving a parable. You can read down through the parable. We're not going to take the time to do that, but you can read down through it and you can see where Jesus is basically giving a comparison of the Father. He's kind of prophesying through a parable form of his crucifixion and of God's response to it. And let's get down to verse number 10 where it says this. It says, And have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. And so he's talking about himself. And then verse number 11, he says, This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. But it actually closes with a question mark. This, is the Lord's, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's a reference to Psalm 118, I believe. Um, but he says, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. But Jesus is really asking a question. He says, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's asking the question about his crucifixion, what his life plan is, what God's will for his life is. And he says, is it marvelous in your eyes what God is doing? And so with that in mind, I want us to take a couple moments and walk through these questions. Put them into your phone, put them on a piece of paper, something you can remember so that you can walk through these one of these days when you need it. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to look into your word. Lord, I thank you so much for just how this series has even uh, helped me. And God, you know that my goal is to never teach something that uh, those who listen need, but Lord, to teach something that I need. And so God, I pray that you would help me to do that once again today and that, I would, that we would be able to clearly communicate what your word teaches us about your will. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever heard someone say that there are things that are beautiful, but when you look at them, they're actually ugly? You've ever, ever heard somebody say that? I remember that when I was in college, um, I, had, I went to college in California, and um, I remember on all of kind of the advertisements for the college, like they promoted it as Southern California, and so there was always like big LA buildings and maybe all these palm trees and stuff. Well, when you actually got to college, it was just barren wasteland desert, all right? Looked like someone had set off an atomic bomb, all right? Burnt everything off the, off the face of the earth. And so I can still remember that the pastor of the church, um, the church had obviously grown and uh, the church was, was doing well, reaching people. And so um, he would always stand up and he would say something to the effect of that there's beauty to the desert. Now to me as a Tennessee boy, formerly West Virginia boy, only thing I ever knew was green. The only, thing that, the only time anything ever dies here is during like the winter, okay? And even during the winter, if you get a lot of snow, your winter grass will start to grow. Actually, I planted winter grass one year just to see what it would do at our old house and we got a bunch of snow uh, that year and there was like grass popping up and I had to mow the weekend after it snowed all right and I was like this is dumb like I, I don't enjoy this and so but out there I mean there was nothing green like it, it was just burnt desert and so I remember they're always saying oh there's a certain level of beauty to the desert and it's like no there's not but here's what I will say 
you get out to the desert and you sit through a sunrise or you sit through one of the sunsets and I, I will give you this there is a distinct beauty to a desert sunrise and a desert sunset and sometimes something that appears to be ugly and hideous and and awful and has all of these weird things that maybe you don't understand and that you can't see and and it takes a very special person to sit there and look at sand and say oh this is beautiful all right like that that's not really my thing my mine is sitting by a lake where there's green trees and, and sound of water rushing and out there there's not water for 300 miles okay and so to sit there and say that's beautiful is, is probably not my cup of tea okay but sometimes someone else sees something that we don't someone else sees something from a different perspective someone else sees something as a calling or or something that is maybe burdensome to you is a blessing to them and in this passage here's what we see is that something as cruel and gruesome as the death of the Savior was asked the question, it is marvelous in our eyes. Something as awful as death and as awful as, the, as crucifixion, as gory and as death, deathly as that is, then we have to understand that if God can take something like that and make it beautiful and save our souls through it, then He can take some of the things that you see as burdensome in your life and use them for his honor and for his glory and for his beauty as well. But where we often miss it is this, as we often do not believe that God's work is actually as marvelous as what he says it is. We don't believe that sometimes the trying process is actually perfecting us. We don't believe that maybe God's way is actually going to be the best way. And so what we end up doing is we pull ourselves out during the burdens. We step out of God's will because of the burdens, and we end up missing the beauty and the blessing on the other side of that. And so today, the questions that I'm going to give you, honestly, I wish I could answer them for you. I wish when we talk about God's will that I could say, you know what, let's sit down, I'll help you figure it out. But that's not the way that God's will works in anyone's life. That's not the way that it works in my life. God's will is a day-by-day -day quest. It's a day-by-day -day journey of you stepping back and saying, Lord, today I'm going to choose to live in your will. So the first one is this. How is this the Lord's work? How is this the Lord's work? I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from someone or maybe sat across the desk from someone and they've begun to describe something that is God's will for their life. They've begun to describe something, oh, I know for sure that this is the person that God has led me to. I know for sure that this is the job that God is leading me to. I know for sure, whatever the case may be. I know for sure that this is what God's calling me to. And they begin to describe God's will for their life. And one of the questions that I'll begin to ask them, and won't always phrase it in this way, is, okay, how do you know that this is God's work? Or how do you know that this is God leading you in your life? And there's normally one of two responses. The first response is always a very carnal response. Well, I know that God is leading me to take this job that it means more hours and more time away from my family, and I'm not going to be able to be as good of a dad, and I'm not going to be able to be in church. And they begin to describe that God's, it is God's will for their life because they made this amount of money at this job, and now they can make this amount of money at this job. Okay, 
I hate to tell you, but God's will is not determined by the financial gain on some things. Maybe if it's relationships, they'll sit down and they'll say, well, this is God's will for my life. I know this is the one that I'm supposed to be with. I know that this is whatever. We've actually had some people that have interacted here that they've begun to describe how maybe leaving a spouse is God's will for their life. That, that's wrong. That's against the Bible, okay? So how is this the Lord's work? And can I give you just a quick hint, okay? That God's will for your life is always going to be done God's way and through God's working in your life. You're never going to arrive at God's will for your life, the perfect, holy will of God for your life through your own way and through your own means. You're never going to just stumble upon it by just waking up one day and just thinking, man, I've lived this life all for myself and now all of a sudden, looky here, I'm in God's will. God has a systematic way of working in the lives of his people. And when you step back and you are faced with a decision, okay, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's an education, maybe, it, maybe it's a move, maybe it's something to do with your family, whatever it is, here's what you have to start with. How has God orchestrated all of this to make it his will? How has God put together the puzzle pieces? Not that it's even completely full. Not that it's completely done. How has he put this together? How has he opened doors? Where has he shut doors? How has he put the pieces together? So how is this the Lord's work? I would encourage you that before you make any type of decision like that, where you ask yourself, how is this the Lord's work? That you would have time that where you would study the Bible and that you would develop a biblical reason for why this is the Lord's will and the Lord's work. So first of all, how is this the Lord's work? Secondly is this, is it sinful or impure? Is it sinful or impure, or if you even want to phrase it like this, is it opening the door for sin or impurity? Okay? Is it opening the door for sin or impurity? Is it sinful or impure? I know that sitting there, you're probably thinking, if those of you who have grown up in church, oh, well, that's, that's never a question. You would be amazed at how many people use something sinful and claim it as God's will for their life. Because here's what we do. We almost use, how many of you have ever played Uno? Okay, I know like 300 of you have played Uno because you played on the Crosspoint Retreat. And then as if Uno wasn't frustrating enough, you guys made up Spicy Uno, which I don't even understand, all right? But we almost use it like that card that you get to throw down to where, I don't even know what it is, okay? The wild card, okay? It's almost like that we use the will of God for that, right? That sometimes like, well, when I can't figure it out or there's going to be people at church that look bad, look badly upon me or there's going to be people who disagree with me and then there's probably going to be someone that's going to preach or teach about me. And so what do I do? Oh, God's will, right? We like throw it down like, oh, this is God's will for my God's will is never going to be sinful or impure. God's will is never going to go against God's word. And so ask yourself the question, is it sinful or impure? And if you can't negotiate that because sometimes the devil is not so open-handed to where he just says, oh, I'm going to present something to you that looks like it's God's will and it's super sinful or super impure, then here's what you have to step back. Is it opening the door towards sin or impurity? The devil's not always going to show his cards. So ask yourself, is it sinful or impure or is it opening the door for impurity? And then thirdly is this. How does it affect the lost around me? How does it affect the lost around me? 
We said early on that one of the things that is God's will, that we know for sure is God's will, quote this verse with me, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Meaning this, that God's will is that everyone will be saved. How many of you agree with that? Okay, you haven't voted on anything else? Good. Two of you agree with the Bible. Good job. We're doing a great job as a class. How many of you agree that it is God's will that everyone would be saved? All right. Thank you. We understand that not everyone will be, okay? But it is God's will that everyone should be saved, meaning this, is that if something in your life, and I want you to listen to this, that you believe is God's will, if it is pushing people away from the gospel of Christ, I can promise you that it is not. If you get your way on something and people die and go to hell, that's not God's will. I know that some of you, you can manipulate it however you want. You can say, well, but it's good. You can stand up for something that is good that will still not send people to heaven and it, would, and it doesn't make it God's will. Okay? You can make a good financial and relational decision in your life, and I want you to listen to this, that results in people dying and going to hell, and guess what? That is not God's will for your life. Your first job in this world is to be a Christian first, which means that everything that you say and do should fall flow through the lens and through the perspective of seeing other people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm not saying that that makes every decision easy, but here's what I am saying. I'm simply saying that what God's will is for your life is that others would be saved, which means this. If you're going to take a job that you're trying to say, well, is this God's will for my life? You better walk into that job knowing ahead of time how you're going to respond to the lost around you. If you're going to have some sort of disagreement with a family member that might be lost, you need to make sure that it's going to be worth your while to have that disagreement so that they see something in you that turns them away from the gospel. If you're going to have a relationship with a lost person, okay, if you're going to date a lost person, which I would biblically argue is not the way to date, okay? That's a different series for a different day, all right? But you better make sure that above all, you do not turn them away from the gospel. And just to be completely honest with you, most Christians that live today do not think like that. Business owners who, yes, yeah, you have every right to fire someone who doesn't meet your standards, okay? But if they walk out of that room and their first and only picture of Jesus Christ is a boss who is a jerk, you have failed Jesus Christ. Yeah, you might have succeeded in your company. Congratulations, okay? That gets you a lot of crowns in heaven. But you have failed Jesus Christ by turning someone off from what the gospel and what can actually change their lives. And so first of all, we have to ask ourselves, how is this the Lord's work? Secondly, how is, it, is it sinful or impure? Thirdly, how does it affect the lost around me? And then number four, are my motives pure? Are my motives pure? This is different than the second question in this. 
is that so many times we convince ourselves that something is God's will because we have something that we want to attain or achieve out of it. Well, this is God's will that I take this bigger uh, job promotion because obviously I'm going to have more opportunities. Sometimes we're even guilty of saying, this is God's will because it will open up more doors for me to witness. Okay, are you going to witness? Okay. Well, we need to, the one that I've heard lately is, and this cracks me up. We need to stand for religious freedom so that we can share the gospel more. Okay, let's share the gospel now. How about that? That would be a good start. Sometimes we fight battles that God never intended us to fight because we're not going to do, them, do with them what we, if we, what we were supposed to do if we win. Sometimes we're guilty of saying, well, this is God's will because, well, my motives are, my motives are pure. My, I, I want this to happen because of this. Well, if you never get to that and you never do that, then your motives were not pure. Well, I want to I have more people following me on Instagram so that I can influence them. Or is it just so that you can post about yourself? Let's step back and let's analyze our motives when we go into something. And that's hard to do because sometimes looking in that mirror shows us something that we don't like to see. Well, my motives in dating this person is because I believe that they're God's will for my life. Is it or are they just a super hot guy? Okay. You guys are supposed to laugh harder at that. All right, but we'll roll with it. Are my motives pure? And then the last thing is this. If you want to check your motives, let's ask ourselves this question. Who will receive the glory? Revelation 4.11, we understand that the Bible says that thou art worthy to receive glory and honor for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Meaning this. I... I'm going to say this as kindly as I can, okay? God's will for your life never gets you the glory. God's will for your life never gets you the glory. Too many times because we have impure motives, because we maybe don't understand even how it affects the lost around us, I can't tell you how many people call into our offices or set up appointments with us as a church staff or as a ministry every single week. And one of their first conversation, one of their first pitches for what they want to do is this. Well, I feel like that it would really open the door for us to reach more people. Yeah, I'm sure that if we hung a pinata out on Franklin Road every single Sunday and gospel tracks and candy fell out of it, that it would help us reach more people with the gospel. But that doesn't mean that it's a good idea, okay? Well, I'm sure that I could reach more people if I went into the bar. You probably could. Probably a great place to hang out with sinners, okay? And lost people. But having people make professions of faith while they're strung out on booze is probably not the best place to start, right? How many of you would agree with that? Okay, we're voting a lot today. Okay, only 12 of you agree with the booze comment, so we'll work on that in another series too, all right? But what we so often miss is this. Well, I want God's will for my life so that, listen to this, it reflects well on me. 
How many of you, you ever have had someone, maybe you've gotten a picture taken or something like that, to where you had someone hold one of those little, like, sun reflector things, like to where it, like, it's supposed to point the sun towards you or whatever, okay? You guys aren't voting on anything. We're done asking questions, all right? Okay. Um, I remember my wife and I, when we got our engagement pictures when we were in college, the girl who did it, she was, I think she was like wanting to experiment with it or something, but she had one of those little things. And I remember the whole time, like you would just be standing there and the person who was holding it, like it, it was, it was one of those things to where it would like roll up inside of itself. So it had those real springy like edges on it. And so when you unwrapped it, it's like, like it would blow it. Like, you know, those little Frisbees that come in the little pack and you pull them out and you almost get your finger taken out off when they open up. All right. It was like a giant size, one of those. And so you'd just be standing in the desert and whoever was holding that if they weren't paying attention they would like turn and it was like oh my goodness the light is so bright and this that is our job as Christians our job as Christians is to be that giant reflector that points Jesus Christ to others that shows people the light of the world and too many times here's what we do is we flip that reflector around and we want it to show ourselves well and can I just be blunt with you that sometimes God's will for your life doesn't make you look good. Sometimes you have to stand up for things that you, no one else, that no one in your college class is going to stand up and be like, oh, good job. Sometimes you have to say things and split relationships that no one's going to be like, oh, that was the smart thing to do. But if it glorifies God, then it is most likely God's will for your life. And sometimes what we're guilty of doing is we're guilty of blaming God for our problems and then blaming or crediting ourselves for our blessings. And if you're in this life for your own glory, you will miss God's will for your life. You will. Scripturally, it happened multiple times. Scripturally, people missed out on what God wanted them to do because they were more concerned about themselves. But if you can step back and you can say, God, this is for your glory, that means that it might not make sense. That means that I might not understand it. But if you can step back and you can say, God, I'm going to step out by faith for your good and for your glory, then chances are that's a good step for you to take. And so let's, let's go through the, those one more time. First of all, how is this the Lord's work? Secondly, is it sinful or impure? Thirdly, how does it affect the lost around me? Fourthly, are my motives pure? And then fifth, who will receive the glory? Can I just encourage you with something? Okay. I know that today's lesson was very practical. I tried to spice it up a little bit, but the truth is, is that was not my goal. My goal was to give you five questions that when you're faced with a decision, you can step back and you can actually have a framework to work through something. That you can actually say, okay, I need something that is going to clarify if this is God's will for my life. Recently, we've been getting a lot of questions about just things in the world, how to respond to them personally. And I, it's almost been humorous because people will call in or right now email is the big thing, okay? Which I, I hate putting that kind of stuff in writing. I feel like everybody gets real judgy of it, all right? So I feel like I have to put a disclaimer with everything. 
But we've been getting a lot of emails about it. And the other day, I was thinking, I was replying to another one, and um, I was thinking, man, okay, what are like the common pieces here? Like how is it, like what is everything, how is everything working out? And so I felt like I almost needed to go back and re-reply to the other ones because as I started looking at some of the scenarios and some of the situations and how people have responded and maybe some of the counsel that we've given, here's what I found. Is that every single person, whether they responded the same as someone else or differently than someone else, every single person when they've come back after some talking and after some counsel, they've said this, the Lord has given me peace about X. I know this is what the Lord wants me do wants me to do because of this. So the other day I re- got the opportunity to reply to one of those another one and and I just said, "Look, here's a couple things to kind of keep in mind. Here's a couple things to think about. Here's some counsel that we've given others that are in the same scenario as you." And I said, "But here's the one thing that I will tell you is that no matter what you decide on some of these things, God is going to give you peace about whatever He wants you to do. And it is going to be for His glory, not for your own. And I wish a thousand times over that I would have thought through some of that counsel earlier. Because so many times, here's what we base God's will on. Well, is it convenient? Is it practical? Does it make sense? Is it good financial reasoning? Is it good stewardship? All right, we can even throw it in a Bible word. We very rarely step back and ask ourselves, is it for God's glory? Is it going to affect lost people? Is it sinful or impure? Is it something that I can see God's handprints on? I can see God's fingerprints on. I wish I could tell you of the numbers of things that my wife and I have, we've struggled making decisions on or we've prayed about or whatever, and it's like that God drops them in our lap and God's handprints and fingerprints are all over them. From buying a house, to buying bo- bo- the two houses that we've lived in, both of them, we can step back and we can see the miracle in them. Down to even small little things to where one of the verses that I was praying when we were looking for the house that we're currently in was Psalm 37, 4 and 5, okay? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way in the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass, okay? The address of our home is 3745. I'm not going to say it because this is going to be on the internet, all right? It's 3745. You might say, oh, that's just coincidence. It's not when you believe in God. It's not when you trust God for it. How is God's handprints on this thing that I am deeming God's will? Or is it just because it's convenient? Is it just that he's the first guy who asked me out? So God's will. And sometimes what we need to do is we need to step back and we need to walk through a little bit of biblical thinking. How is this God's will? Is it sinful or pure or impure? How does it affect the lost around me? How does, or is, are my motives pure? And then who will receive the glory out of this? And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, I ask you to help us today. Lord, I know that some in this room that have decisions that they need to make, they'll end up making them because of convenience or they'll end up making them because of maybe 
just the quick and easy thing to do. And they'll never consult that your word gives us a clear framework. Lord, these were just five ways that we can walk through it. I tried to prioritize the ones that your word speaks about. But the truth is, is that your word very clearly defines more ways that we can know that we're in the will of God. And so, God, I ask you to help these young adults as they really make big life decisions each and every day. I know there's a lot of pressure. I know there's a lot of burden. But I know that some of them are facing even job losses right now. And so, God, I ask you to help them to be able to walk through this framework, to be able to trust you, and, Lord, that you would make it abundantly and evidently clear that you have given them peace as to what to do, Lord, as to what decisions to make, who to date, where to live, what job to take, what job to not take. Lord, may you make that clear in their lives through your word and through your working. In your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank y'all. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.